Have you ever been in a situation where you thought to yourself, ah, you know, it's not that bad? You ever have a wound that you thought to yourself, ah, it's not that bad? When I was a kid, you know, if you, if you cut yourself, you always put mud in it. You say, come on, it's not that bad. I remember one time, I think I've told you the story before, but I remember one time I was out with my brother and we were climbing fences. Now, in our neighborhood, we had those fences that you could walk on top of. They had a flat, flat thing. So we were actually, these fences were like this high off the ground and we were just balancing on these fences. What, what you did back then, right? You walked the fences. The other thing that we had that was dangerous was we had the steel sheds. Do you remember those steel sheds? And the steel sheds had those steel jagged roofs on them. So this one jagged roof apparently had gone bad. So whoever owned this, this, this shed put the, the top of the shed against the fence. And so it was just laying there, and he was replacing his shed, I, would, I guess. But anyway, we were walking on the fence, and I fell off. And when I fell off, I fell right along the edge of that jagged roof that was leaning against the fence, and I ripped open this leg right here in the back. And my brother, uh, who was walking fences with me, and I, I, slid, I was crying. I was just saying, I don't even remember how old I was, maybe eight, eight, six, seven, somewhere in there. And I was crying, and I was crying, and so he brought me home to see my mother. And we walked in the door, and she's in the house. I think it must have been summertime, but we walk in the house, and, and I'm crying, I'm crying, and mom comes to the top of the stairs, and she goes, what is wrong? What are you crying about? And I, and I said, I fell off the fence, and I cut myself. And, and uh, she said, ah, it's nothing. Just go out and play. My mom. So I, so I said, oh, okay, okay. And, and Chris, is, Chris is standing, my brother is standing behind me. He's looking at my leg. He goes, I don't think so. <laughs> looking at my leg. She said, okay, turn him around. So I turned around, and I remember my mother screaming at the top of the stairs because there was blood all down my leg. She immediately called for, for my dad. He came home. We didn't use no ambulance in my day. Come on. She called dad. He came running home from the office, laid me on the back seat. No seat belt. Laid me on the back seat. Make sure you keep that leg up. I don't want blood on my seats. Put me on the back seat. I'm laying there. Runs me down to the hospital, and I get stitches for the first time in my life because I cut a gash on the back of my leg so deep I ended up needing stitches. My mom, she felt terrible about that. And if she's watching today, mom, I forgive you. That's water under the bridge. <laughs> Fortunately, I've never done that to my kids. <laughs> no. Oh, I've done worse. But I love telling stories about my mom rather than my faults. It's sometimes we think to ourselves, it's not that bad. The children of Israel are now at Sinai. Remember we talked about this one step forward, two steps back. They commit this sin. They're just worshiping a golden idol. I mean, seriously, it's just an idol that emerged out of the pool of gold. You remember that? Aaron said, I put the gold in there and poof, out came a calf. I don't know how it happened, but here it is. And so we ended up worshiping this calf. No big deal. It's just, it's just a little thing. That led them into a further sin. We talked about that last week, and if you'd like to catch up, you can catch up with us. That, but ultimately, they, they ended up breaking only the first two commandments, no other gods before me, and no images. Broke the first two commandments. But God had a different reaction than the people did. A lot of them just said, come on, let's, let's not blow this out of proportion. It's only a flesh wound. Come on, it's not that big of a deal. So my question to you today, have you ever been in a situation where something happened that caused damage, but you never had an idea of how bad it actually was until you could view it for yourself? That's what happened at Sinai. These guys had committed a sin that was going to affect them for the long term. They didn't know this. They downplayed it. And we have a tendency to do the same thing, don't we? Don't we downplay the severity of sin? It's not that bad. Come on. Everybody's doing it. How can something so wrong feel so right? We, we have phrases that we buy into in our culture on a regular basis because we live on the idea that your sin is pretty bad, but my sin, let's not blow it out of proportion. Why do we have the... Uh, the, the tendency to downplay the effect and the consequences of sin that is going on all around me. Quite frankly, all sin has consequences. No matter what sin it is, it has consequences. That's just the way that life works. Some sins have more consequences than other sins. If you steal a cookie from the cookie jar versus murdering my neighbor. 
One is a really bad one that's going to have consequences, and the other one not so bad, right? I'm not going to go to jail for stealing a cookie, but murdering my neighbor, we would say that's a big one. How about Mother Teresa? Did you know Mother Teresa was a sinner? Oh, yes, she was. She falls into the sin category like the rest of us. Would you say Mother Teresa was a sinner like mm, Hitler? No. Sin is different. It has consequences that, is, that are different. There's some things that are true about sin that are universal and some things that are particularly, uh, uh, particularly consequential for those particular sins. Here's a universal truth. Sin always costs more than we know and creates more damage than we can see. We look at it and we think to ourselves, it's not that bad. Stick a little dirt in it, it's not that bad. Go back out and play. You're, only, you're making a big deal out of this. Craig, you're making a big deal out of sin. God is actually making a, so they made a calf. They're used to it, that's what they did in Egypt. How bad is it? We have a tendency to downplay sin. There's a lot of confusion these days, there always has been, on how God feels about sin. In this particular verse, God actually uses a phrase that should scare us to death. In Exodus 32, in this passage that we're talking about, God says to the children of Israel, you have sinned a great sin. Apparently, all sins are not the same. You have sinned a great sin. So we are going to learn three important lessons about sin this morning. Number one, all sin is not the same. Number two, sin atonement, sin requires blood in order to be forgiven, atonement. And number three, forgiveness does not negate consequences. So we're going to dive in this morning, Exodus 32. If you've got your Bibles this morning, Exodus 32, starting at verse 25. We always put them on the screen just so you can follow along as well. So if you'd like to do that or if you'd like to find it in your device or in your Bibles, Exodus 32, 25. Let's pick up here. When Moses saw that the people of Israel, now get this, had broken loose. Isn't that a weird phrase? When Moses saw that the people of Israel had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Let him come to me. Now the sin of making the golden calf was a great sin that Israel had committed that God knows is gonna lead them down a path of more sin. Have you ever seen somebody commit a sin and you look at them and you think to yourself, if you keep going down that path, bad things are gonna happen. Ever do that? Maybe your own kids, maybe your relatives. But you're looking at it and you're going, that's a bad choice and that's going to lead to more bad choices. This is a situation at Sinai. God looks at Israel and says, you have made a bad decision, you have sinned, and that sin is going to lead to more, more sin. They had broken the first two commandments and now they're going to leave, it's going to lead them down a path of debauchery that they've never even seen before. They've never even seen this in Egypt before. And the Bible describes it as they broke loose. What kind of imagery does that conjure up in your mind? Have you ever tried to keep an animal in a cage? And you, and you keep that animal in a cage, maybe you're training the animal, maybe you want to make sure that they're in the cage, maybe, maybe it's a dog that you keep home in the cage and then suddenly they get out and you come home and everything's trashed in the house. That's the idea, breaking loose. These people had committed a sin that allowed them to Break loose. One sin led them down this path where they broke loose. Number one, not all sin is the same. Verse 30, the next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. And now I'll go up to the Lord. I, now get that what it says here. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Do you get this? Moses is looking at them going, this is so bad I don't know if I can cover this for you. Perhaps God will listen to me. I'm the prophet, I'm the one he's chosen, but I don't even know if I'm gonna be able to cover this for you guys. Perhaps I can make atonement for you. This one has offended God more. It would lead them into worse sin and it hold consequences for them that other sins didn't. Now, please keep in mind, these, these children of Israel, they've sinned before. I mean, 
You remember? I mean, they, they cried out to God. They're complaining about God. You remember they're supposed to gather up the manna in the wilderness, the manna, the what is it, food falling from the sky. And God said, don't gather it on the Sabbath. And some people would gather it on the Sabbath. And he would say, don't gather more than you need. Just gather enough for a day. And they would think to themselves, well, it might not snow food tomorrow. I better gather enough for tomorrow. And it would rot in the jars. Do you remember all this, right? They had disobeyed God plenty of times in the past, but God never responded like this. God responds to them in a particular way that indicates to us not all sin is the same or not all sin has the same consequences. God has rebuked them in the past for their sin. God has even encouraged them when they sin that they wouldn't sin again. Even when they, I mean, God has reacted really differently. This, this particular one is very different from the other times that they disobeyed God. He's never threatened to kill them before. And he does in this case. They're about to learn that all sin is not the same. Now church, we know this is true, right? Deep down, we all know this is true. Not all sin is the same. You see sin in the world around you, and some sin you would say, that's a bad one. Other sin you would say, why are we even talking about this? We have a tendency to, even in our own minds, believe that this lie of culture that Sin is sin, and it's all the same, but it's not. What do all sins have in common? Well, number one, here's what they have in common. They all separate us from God. One sin is enough to separate you from God, big or small. This is all the way through, through the Bible, from beginning to end. One sin is enough to get us a one-way ticket to hell. One sin because it separates us from a holy God. All sin is not the same, but the commonalities are all sins separate us from God. Number two, no matter what the degree of your sin, any sin is enough to send you to hell for eternity. I'll give you a verse on that, Romans 5.14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Did you catch that? Here it is. Even over those whose sinning was not like the sinning of Adam. In other words, Adam's sin was enough to send the whole world, to pollute the whole planet, to to throw the whole planet into a spiral of being broken. All creation was affected by Adam's sin. And the Bible says here in Romans 5.14 that even though all sin is not as bad as Adam's, all sin is an offense to God. And no matter what the degree of your sin, anyone will send you to hell for eternity. Number three is sin must be paid for. Sin can be paid for by an eternity of being apart from God or sin can be paid for by getting help. And that is provided in the person of Jesus Christ. All right, more on that in just a minute. Those are the commonalities of sin. That's what sin has in common. Here's the differences of sin. In the Old Testament, there are three different words for sin. One is plain up sin whatever is morally wrong, whatever, whatever is, goes against the code of life. You murder your neighbor, we all know that's wrong, that's sin. There's another word for sin called transgression. Transgression is the idea of rebellion. God tells you what to do and you say, I'm not gonna do that, I'll do whatever I wanna do. This is like a parent telling their kids, now I'm telling you, do not pick up your device until you get your homework done. And so they go in their room and they, what do they do? They don't do their homework, they play on their device. You go up and you check on them and they're up there, beep, 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 playing on their device. You go, what did I tell you? And they said, you told me to do my homework. What did I tell you not to do? I told me not to play on my device. What are you doing? I don't know. (laughs) That's, that's a, I don't know. It just jumped into my hand. Out came a calf. I didn't, I didn't, I don't know how it happened. This word, transgression, is we have been told what to do by God and we choose to rebel against it. Different word. Third word is iniquity. This is a big one too. Iniquity is a perverse way of life. Literally in scripture, when you see iniquity, God always says it's like, he uses words like abomination. This word literally means it makes God throw up. Abomination is it makes God go Three different words for sin. The other truth about sin is some sins God points out as great 
and some sins are just referred to as sins. Again, all sin is enough to separate us from God, but not all sin has the same consequences. Moses knows this. He knows the gravity of, of this sin. Now that's all build up to what's about to come because this is gonna blow you away. This sin, Moses knows that the children of Israel have committed is enough to, to, to com- make Moses go into a unique pre- preservation mode. Look in verse seven of verse, chapter 32. The Lord said to Moses, go down. Oh, this is so sad. Listen to this. Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Does anything stand out as weird to you in those verses, in that verse? Who brought these people up out of Egypt? Did Moses? God never describes Moses as bringing the people up out of Egypt until this moment right here. God always describes himself as bringing the people. He doesn't refer to these people as his people. He refers to them as What does it say? Your people. Doesn't that just break your heart? God looks at the sin that these Israelites are committing and he says to Moses, I mean, you ever get this? Like, if your kid really ticks you off, don't you look at your your husband or your wife and you say, your kids are misbehaving again. And the other person goes, wait a doggone minute, they're not my kids, they're our kids. Not today they're not, they're your kids because they're doing exactly what you would do. God refers to his people and gives the credit for bringing his people out of Egypt as Moses' people. Gives the credit to Moses. Verse 10, now therefore let me alone, listen to this, that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Does that shock you at all? On a scale of one to 10, are you, are you not shocked by this? I read this and I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, God is forgiving, God is forgetful when it comes to our sins, God is compassionate and slow to anger and full of mercy. What is this language we're reading here? Because there's no mercy here. God literally says, all those people down there, I'm gonna burn them with fire. And Moses, you and I, will start again. God is literally saying to Moses, forget Abraham, Forget Jacob, forget all that stuff because this is the result of it. Moses, you are the new patriarch. Let's start again. That's shocking to me. God is literally saying, I feel the same way about this situation that I felt at the time of the flood. And at the flood, I destroyed everything. Moses, let's start over, just you and me. A new nation without these kinds of people in it. Now what does Moses have to do? Moses has to go to the people and convey to them how God feels. Now how would you feel with that responsibility? Wouldn't you go down and you'd say, you guys have literally no idea how angry God is about this situation. And they would go, ah, come on, he's compassionate, he's slow to anger, and he's full of mercy. He's not going to be angry with us. No, 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 no. you're not getting it. He wants to kill you all. Like, he wants to start again. He, he made a proposal, like, he and I would start again. You're all gone. He has to convey this to the people. He literally says to them, I don't know if I can cover this for you. It's worked before. I have interceded on your behalf. I have begged God on your behalf. I have played intercessor for you between you and this God. But I don't know if I can, this, this is a big one. I don't know if I can cover this for you. So he comes up with a plan. And he goes down to the people and he says, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, these people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of the book that you have written. Isn't that crazy? What is he saying, church? What's he saying? He's literally saying, 
take my life instead of theirs. Moses knows this is a biggie. Don't stick a little dirt in it. This one's not going away. I have got to play a card with God that will maybe convince him to change his mind, but he's so, he's so angry with these people, I don't know if I can do it. So what do I have to bargain with? What is the most precious thing I have? My own life. He goes back to God and he says, take my life in place of theirs. Number two, all sin requires blood atonement. This is a universal law. I'm amazed at how we as humans know this deep down inside. Every human, every culture, every time period, everybody knows that there is a need for atonement that requires blood. If you're going to make something right with somebody else, you need the most precious of items that you have. And what is that? Blood. Let me, let me illustrate that for you. Blood has always been seen as one of the most valuable payments one can require. Idols of the Old Testament. We've talked about Moloch, you remember? If you want this powerful God to give you rain or prosperity or better looking wife or whatever, if you wanted any of that, this God would require the blood of your baby. The hands over the fire and you put the baby on top of the hands until the baby would die. Everybody knows deep down inside, if you really want something, if you really want a God to listen to you, if you really want a payment to be made, the most valuable thing is you, you can give is, is blood. In the Aztecs, uh, I, don't, I, I love studying Aztec history, and a, a, a lot of these pyramids in the Aztec time, you can find graves of babies at the, at the four corners of the pyramids. Because they would go up there and if it didn't rain for a long time, they'd throw the babies over, over the side. Because they figured the blood of the babies would bring the rain from the gods. Even in the modern times, when you make an oath with somebody, you ever heard of this? You know, you, you, you make a blood oath with somebody, blood and you shake your hand or whatever. You know, we've turned that into spit because blood's too expensive. But, you know, in the olden days, you'd cut your hand and make a blood oath with somebody. You wonder why vampires are so, so important nowadays? How did that ever get to be such a thing? It's because people know there's power in the blood. The idea is when you get the blood from somebody up, you, you, you get the power from that person. I don't mean to be crass in any of this. I'm just telling you that no matter where you are on the scale of of, of human history, there is an innate understanding in each one of us that there is power in blood. This is even built into the Jewish sacrificial system in the Old Testament. You had to cut bulls and goats and birds and all these things to have sacrifices so the sins of your family can be forgiven. There's power in blood. Moses knows this. And so he goes to God with the most valuable thing he can offer, his own blood. He begs for mercy by offering God his own life. This is what he means when he says, forgive their sin, but if not, blot me out of your book. Blot my life out of your book. Take my blood to save yours, or to save theirs. Moses offers himself as a substitute, the only card he has left to play, the most valuable card he has to play. And God's response to Moses is, Moses, it's a nice offer, but it's not enough. Your blood isn't enough to cover this. How do you think Moses felt with that response? What does he do now? Moses doesn't know this yet. But even though he's the greatest prophet in human history up to this time, his blood would not be enough to cover their sins. But there would soon be one whose blood would be enough to cover theirs. Verse 33, but the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now, I wanted you to know there's something that, there's this blotting out of the book. We, we spent a lot of time talking about this and, and discovering that there are actually two books. There's a book of life in the Old Testament, and there's a book, God's book of the Lamb's book of life in the New Testament. The book of life in the Old Testament is basically your life. This is your life. It's the idea that all of your days of human history, all of your days are written in God's book. So the day you were born, what happened on Tuesday, what happened on Thursday, all written in God's book. This is, this is your life. 
Moses is saying, blot me out of that book. Take my life away. If you're breathing, you're in that Old Testament book of life kind of deal. I think it's, a, it's an analogous way of God ex- explaining to us that he has all of our days planned for us. They're all written in this book. And you can find different passages in the Old Testament that talk about this book of life. This is kind of like the book of your life. All the tears, one passage says, all the tears of your life are stored in a jar in the book of life. Like God has it all planned out. You don't have to worry about your life because God has your life planned out from beginning to end. That's the book of life. But when you get into the New Testament, it changes. It's called the Lamb's book of life. And no longer is it talking about your physical life, but it's talking about your spiritual life. And if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you don't get blotted out of that. Getting blotted out of the book of life means you're dead. But no one can get blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. These are those who truly follow Jesus Christ. Moses is saying, if you don't forgive them, I mean, if, you, if, if what it takes to forgive them is blotting me out of the book of life, if taking my life is what it'll take, you can have my life. God says it's not enough. Which leads us to the third reality we learn about sin, and that is this. Number three, forgiveness does not negate consequences. Number th- uh, verse 34. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day that I will visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf the one that Aaron made. I've skipped over a bunch of verses because there's so many verses in here, but ultimately you need to know 3,000 people died this day. On top of that, the rest of them had to drink gold. You remember we talked about that last last week? And not the the fancy gold that you buy today with the little little, uh, feathers uh, made out of gold on, on cake. It's not like that. It's like a big chunk of gold, drink it. Some of them died from that. And some of them died from a plague that God sent. All of these were consequences because of this choice that these people made to sin. All of them suffered something. And I started thinking about this, and church, I have to tell you, I I started thinking a lot about this, and do you think the children were responsible for any of this activity? I don't think so. It was their parents, right? It was their moronic parents. The children were the ones that ended up going into the promised land. It's their parents are disobedient to their parents. Their parents all had to die before the children could go into the promised land. And yet when you read this in scripture, it literally says no one escaped judgment. Even the children were influenced by the sins of their parents. And I'm thinking to myself, I can look at God and say, God, that's really unfair. Come on, these kids don't make decisions. They, it's not their choice. Their parents are responsible for their own choices. But then I remember I'm falling back into the category of thinking to myself, my sin doesn't affect anybody else. But it does. If I choose to murder somebody today, I go to jail. Who's going to suffer, me or my family? My family's going to suffer way more than I do. My sin does not just affect me. This is a lie of the devil. We live in a world that tells you your sin doesn't really affect anyone else. Show me one that doesn't. Every one of our choices to sin inevitably will affect all those around us. Starting with our families and rippling out into friends and neighbors there's so many examples I could give you. I, I, I'm, I'm even biting my tongue on some of them, but I've had friends who chose not to get along anymore. They can't get along with their spouse, and so they decide that they need to get a divorce, and now there's a party coming up, and I'm thinking to myself, do I go to his party or do I go to her party? It's a, it's, sometimes it's a difficult choice. If I go to her party, I'm going to support her. He's going to hate me. If I go to his party, she's going to hate me. It's amazing to me how we think to ourselves, and again, There are so many categories for this. But we have a tendency to think to ourselves, my sin doesn't affect anybody else. It is an extremely unique circumstance where one person's sin doesn't affect anyone else. In fact, I would would venture to say the greater the sin, the greater the collateral damage. 
When a father's convicted of a crime, his family suffers. When a mother gives in to addiction, it's her family and her friends who suffer. Adultery just doesn't affect you. It affects the family and the children damaged because of one person's unrestrained sexual desire. Go on and on. I mean, these are just the ones that came to my mind, but there's lots of them. Our, our tendency is to downplay the consequences, downplay the, the significance of sin so that we don't feel bad about what we're doing to the people around us and to our own soul. The key is consequences are permitted to prevent further sins. This is, this is really a major thought. God sometimes allows consequences because he wants to prevent further sin. Because we have no idea how bad it really is. You're like me standing in the entryway of my home, looking up at my mom going, and my mom saying, it's not that bad, just go out and play. And then she gets a look at it and goes, And it can happen to anyone. I want you to know, all of these people profess to be God's people. (laughs) They're all in the group of people that are God's people. All of them are. I don't think all of them are participating in this sin. I don't think all of them are dancing in this debaucherous way in front of this golden calf. I don't think so. But nobody stood up and said, uh, I'd like just a minute here and just say, this is wrong. Nobody did. They've been all in the group rescued from Egypt. They were all in the group. Where Moses went in and says to Pharaoh, let my people go. These same dancers at the foot of Sinai were in that group of people that were my people. Moses said, God said to Moses, tell them to let my people go. They are included in the category of my people. And yet this is how they behave. They've all tasted, literally tasted the blessings of God. Literally with manna. They're eating food that God gave them. They've all been included with God's followers. And yet they broke loose. And I'm reminded of the phrase, they are with us. They are just not of us. Can I tell you something? I've lived long enough to have lived that phrase out in my mind way too many times, where I think to myself, this person sure seems like they're with us. They sure seem like they're one of us. But given enough time, we find out, sure, they were with us, but they're not of us. They've revealed this sin, reveals the true nature of their hearts. Not everyone who comes to church is a part of God's family. Did you know that? Not every theologian who knows the Bible is a part of God's family. Jesus says, by their fruit, you will know them. In fact, in 1 John 2, it says this. They went, Jesus, these are Jesus' own words. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they have continued to be of us, they w- uh, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain to all that they are not of us. Jesus' own words. In Jesus' time, it was like he had tons of followers and he was a pretty good act to go around watching. I mean, you didn't have YouTube and you didn't have, you know, the internet or anything like that, so you're looking for any entertainment at all. And basically, Jesus was a pretty good show to follow. He would be healing lepers and giving sight to the blind and he he would be doing a lot of cool stuff like giving people the ability to walk who've been lame. And so if you wanted a good show, you'd go check out Jesus for a while. Then he claimed to be the son of God, and that was intriguing, but the show was really cool. And once in a while, you might get like a few fish and bread along the way. It was a good show to follow. There were lots of people, thousands of people following Jesus, but how many were with him at the cross? How many many deserted him when he needed the most? Even his own disciples. Jesus knew this truth way too well. With us, but not of us. Now, that's not saying that we all will not drop the ball. We will. I do. I drop the ball at times. Absolutely. We all do. But the reaction of somebody that's of us is that there is a deep conviction of sin that is absent in those who are not of us, in those who are not followers of Jesus Christ. Some people come to church just because it's entertaining. Can you believe that? Some people get involved with groups just because they want a place to belong. 
there's nothing necessarily wrong with those things. I mean, we hope that Jesus is an attraction to people around us, but I want to tell you, if your roots only go that deep, eventually you're going to abandon this because eventually you'll realize we're not about entertainment. We're about furthering the kingdom of God. People who are with us, but not of us. Over time, what you love will be revealed. If it's God, you'll remain faithful. But if it's sin, eventually, you'll break loose. We even consider our sin cheap, don't we? Everyone sins. How bad am I after all? Like, I've talked to people, I said, like, what do you think is going to get you into heaven? Well, I'm a fairly good person. Who are you comparing yourself to? I'm a good person compared to Mussolini. (laughs) Good for you. I'm a good person compared to, I don't know, my dad. He was an idiot. Not my dad. I love my dad. But maybe this person might say, I'm a good person compared to my dad. He treated me bad my whole life. Not good. Do you know who you need to compare your goodness to? Do you, this is in scripture. Your goodness needs to surpass the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You don't just have to achieve that mark. You need to go beyond it. Anyone want to reach for that bar? We have a tendency to sell our sin as cheap. We think to ourselves, it's not that bad. Seriously, how bad is my sin before God? I want to tell you this. Sin is costly. I went on a date. This was pre-Beth, and she's not here, so I'm going to tell the story. (laughs) She's with the kids, just in case you're wondering where she is. She's blessing our kids right now, but. It's one of my first times going on a date. I had my dad's car and I had a pocket full of money. No credit cards, just cash. I had a paper route, so I had this bundle of cash that I would put in my pocket and I'm thinking to myself, I'm gonna take this girl on a date and I'm gonna impress the hooey out of her. So we went to an expensive restaurant and we went inside and we sat down and she started looking at the menu and going, order anything you want. Again, no credit card, cash. Then I picked up the menu and I looked at at the menu. I'm going, I have made a terrible mistake. Because I realized this is a little out of my price range. Immediately, you know, your ears start getting hot. You start to sweat a little bit. I'm thinking to myself, in my mind, I know I got a 10 in there. I got a 20 in there. What else is it? Could you excuse me for a second? I went to the bathroom. I pulled out my money, and I started counting it because I wanted to be sure I'm not washing dishes at the end of the the night. Come back to the table, and I'm just praying to God I can cover whatever she wants to order. So she says, okay, I just have a salad. I'm going, please be a side salad. Please be a side salad. Please be a side salad. (laughs) And water, water with that. Would that be good? Okay. Sin is expensive. It's more expensive than we think. The price tag hanging on our sin is far greater than we can fathom. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, so death spread to all men and women because all have, what church? All have sinned. Do you know you die because of sin? That's a pretty heavy price tag, wouldn't you say? If it weren't for sin, we wouldn't die. Sin brought death to a world that wasn't supposed to experience death, and sin brought physical death and spiritual death. It separated us from our own physical lives, and it separated us from a life with God. You know this to be true because in the Old Testament, one of the most horrific scenes was in Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve sinned, and God came to them and he said, who told you that you were na- who, who Who deceived you? And they play the blame game. You remember that? Adam said, the woman you gave me, she deceived me. Eve said, that serpent you allowed in the garden, he deceived me. And God cursed all three of them in different ways. You see, it was only an apple. It was only a piece of fruit. Come on, how, how bad is it? It literally is the cookie in the cookie jar that you're not allowed to have. Why are we making such a big deal about this? And yet that one sin is the reason you die. And one of the most horrific scenes occurs right there in the garden. 
when the God who made everything has to create cloths for them to wear. Cloths made of animal skin. Where do you think he got the animal skin from? The God of the universe who created life cut into life, killed life, and then made animal skins to clothe his own people. Sin is way more costly when we give it credit for, and blood is way more precious. One person's sin corrupted the entire planet, and this sin cost Jesus his life, Romans 5, 7, for one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for good people, one would even dare to die, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. We simply cannot fathom the depth of sin. We scream out, I'm a good person. I'm not as bad as Hitler was. I haven't committed the sins my neighbor has. Let me introduce you to a real sinner. He lives next door. And yet we die because we're sinning. And unless you're born again spiritually, you will spend eternity in hell because of sin. Sin is costly. We simply don't understand the consequences of our own sin. Sin corrupts the entire planet. It's why Jesus had to die. One sin that you commit is enough to send your, your soul to hell for eternity. And a high price had to be paid in order to take care of our sin. Hebrews 9.22, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, church, would you say this with me, please? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness of sins. The most precious sacrifice for the most heinous activities. That highest price must be paid, and no payment would cover our sin except the most valuable payment of all, the blood of Jesus Christ. All right, church, now that we know the reality of sin, how do you feel about it? We have a tendency to walk out and love it, don't we? We love our sin. The minute we get by ourselves, we indulge in our sinful natures, or we lose control and we let the sinful nature come. You want to know people get mad? People get mad because they love getting mad. You'll talk to them and they'll say, I can't believe I'm such an angry person. Well, it's because you love getting mad. We love indulging our sinful nature. The price is so high. Here are some so what's. Number one, expect every single sin ever committed to be addressed now or later. Now means sometimes God does nothing, but the sin takes its own toll on us. Our sin will lead us down paths. Sometimes we don't really want to go. But because God kind of lets our sin take over, Romans 1, by the way, is just like this. Romans 1 says, all sin entered in the world and God gave them over to it. (laughs) That's a scary idea. That's like the hand of God that's restraining sin is moved back just a little bit. And sin, when it takes its natural course, leads us into places we don't often believe we could go. That's the now. Another one is sometimes God intervenes in discipline. We realize that this might be actually where we want to be because if God is disciplining us, we believe that God considers us his children. If you're sinning and you think to yourself, I'm miserable in my sin, that's probably a good thing. The disciplining hand of God might be on you. That's a good thing. That proves that, you, that God's heart is for you. And God says in Hebrews 10, what kind of a father, loving father, doesn't discipline his son? So if you're under the disciplined hand of God, cherish the fact that he still loves you and he might still be disciplining you to stop that natural flow of sin in your life. Number three, sometimes God just takes someone out. Did you know God does this? He doesn't just threaten it, but sometimes he does. The Bible calls this pruning, and I have seen this happen, I think, in my life. Later, that's the now, that's how sin affects us now, Later is every sin will be brought to judge, judgment on the day of judgment. The bottom line here is church is this, not all sin is the same. Some cost more than you're willing to pay. All sin requires blood. Jesus offers this blood to cover your sins so that you don't have to because you can't. Your blood's not as precious as his. And forgiveness does not negate consequences. Mess with sin, <coughs> excuse me, mess with sin and you might be required to live with consequences 
you're not willing to pay. I know all of us in here are either dealing with consequences of sin in our own lives or consequences of sin in other people's lives that we wish we didn't have to deal with. Let's put credit where credit goes. The credit goes at the doorway of sin. Sin comes in. Sin lives to destroy. It'll make you feel good all the way to hell, but it lives to destroy. It'll make you feel good as you destroy your marriage, but it lives to destroy. It'll make you feel good as you climb to the top of the ladder, but it lives to destroy. Whatever Satan's feeding you that tastes so good now eventually will make you into somebody you don't want to become or you never thought you could be. Which brings me to number two. Repent and trust the blood of Jesus for all of your sins, small and great. We know how God responds to sin. How do we respond to sin? Does sin that's prevalent in this world bring your heart sorrow? It sure does me. I think to myself, how in the world did we get to this place? The sin that I see on TV, the sin that I see in the world around me, 6,000 people have been shot with guns in Chicago in the last 18 months. That breaks my heart. And they don't put it on TV. (laughs) No. Makes the politicians look bad. Open your eyes and see what sin is doing to our world around us. We get fed this much of what's going on. Do you know your brothers and sisters around the world who follow Jesus Christ are being put in concentration camps today? In North Korea, in Nigeria. Nigeria has quickly moved to the top of the chain of persecuting churches list. Nigeria, it is a death sentence to claim you follow Jesus Christ. This is going on today. Literally, you can get on a plane, travel eight hours, and be in a situation where you're in threat for your very life if you say that you're a Christian or you carry a Bible. Going on today. Sin prevalent in our world should drive our heart to sorrow. Sin that is in our own lives should do the same thing. If you're comfortable in your sin, you're in a dangerous spot. Those who are comfortable in their sins have no proof that they belong to Jesus Christ. The response of the people demonstrated the reality of their hearts. Some of these people cried for mercy. Some continued to dance as Moses came down. What's Moses' reaction to their sin? He breaks the Ten Commandments. Oh. Breaks the Ten Commandments. And then he looks at him and he says, you've, you've committed a great sin. I don't know if I can cover this for you. I think you're all dead. I mean, that's, that's the last thing I heard. But I'll go up and I'll try and do my best. He walks up into the presence of God and he says, take my life instead of theirs. And God says, not good enough. So he goes down and terrible things happen. Plagues. People die. And what's interesting is I think they killed them while they were still dancing. If you read this passage carefully enough, I don't know how you can get around, around it. I think, I think they died by the sword. 3,000 of them died by the sword, and I think they were still dancing when they died. Such a picture of sin. The New Testament speaks of our reaction to sin. And it says there's two kinds of people. The follower of Jesus loves Jesus more than they love their own sin, and it shows. And those who don't follow Jesus couldn't care less because they don't believe there's a day of judgment coming. And sometimes I think we don't either. Or we'd be a little bit more persistent in doing these kinds of conversations. If you do know Jesus and you trust his sacrifice, you need to know that his sacrifice speaks louder than any sin you could fall into, anyone. (laughs) Jesus' blood just doesn't cover one of your sins, it covers all of them. Jesus' blood doesn't just cover all of your sins, it covers all the sins of the world. Jesus' blood just doesn't cover the sins of the world nowadays, it covers the sins of the world past, present, and future. Jesus' blood can cover every sin, every time, every place for every person. It doesn't matter how deep the sin is, how many consequences we have. It doesn't matter any of that. Jesus' blood can cover, forgive all of our sins. 
You wonder why we love and worship Jesus every Sunday? Now you know. <laughs> this is exactly the reason. Hebrews 12, 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assemble of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, to the God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better words than the blood of Abel. Do you know why Jesus' blood is compared to the blood of Abel? When Abel was killed, he was murdered for nothing because he had a jealous brother. His jealous brother murdered him out of a jealous rage. How do you think Adam and Eve felt that day? <laughs> you mean this happened because we ate that apple? That's a pretty big consequence. That's exactly what happened. Cain kills Abel out of a jealous rage. So you know what Abel's blood screams to God from the ground? You know what it says? Justice. Justice. I have been killed wrongly. I want justice. You know what Jesus' blood screams to us from the cross? Mercy. Give them mercy. You want to know why? Because all your sins were put on Jesus Christ on that cross. He became the murderer, the adulterer, the liar, the cheat. He became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might know the righteousness of God. Do you know why? Because when he's on that cross, God's justice came down, buddy. It came down on him so that it wouldn't fall on us. And Jesus' blood screams out, not for justice, that's already been given. Jesus' blood screams out, mercy. Jesus knows who you are. <laughs> he knows who I am. He knows my, my, my tendency to love sin more than I love him at times. And he chooses to love me in, instead. Abel's blood screamed for justice, Jesus' blood screams for mercy. Moses wanted to scream for mercy, but his blood wasn't sufficient. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't God incarnate. Only Jesus' blood would do. The sufficient payment for all people everywhere. So here's the point, church. Sin is not cheap, and forgiveness is expensive. It costs Jesus his life. What better way to lead into communion than with that phrase? Sin is not cheap and forgiveness is, not expen is expensive. Jesus is a mediator of a new covenant. This covenant is not like the old covenant that required bulls and goats and birds and all kinds of blood to be shed over and over again because the people kept on sinning. So they'd have to keep on making the sacrifice every single year, every year. They would have to come and make sacrifices on behalf of their family. And that blood would, would do something, but it didn't do any. All it did was point ahead to the fact that there's blood coming that would cover everything. This, this is not going to do it, but there's blood coming that would cover everything, past, present, and future, pointing to Jesus Christ. The old covenant killed all these bulls and lambs. Did you know in Jerusalem, you might be particularly interested in this, in, in Jerusalem, there is a gate where it goes down from the place where they sacrificed the animals, and they dug, dug a trench and the trench went down into the Valley of Hinnom. Jesus talked about the Valley of Hinnom because it stunk all the time, because it was burning all the time. He compared Hinnom, this Valley of Hinnom, to hell. He said, you wanna know what hell is? It's like the Valley of Hinnom, because nobody wanted to go there. It stunk, it was burning all the time, there was garbage burning, and all the blood in the guts that rolled down from, because so many bulls and so many goats and so many birds and so many things with blood in them were cut open, they had to dig a trench, so all that junk would flow down into this valley of Hinnom. And when you went up to worship on the Day of Atonement, you went up there with all of these different people. This is, this is when Jesus came through the gates of Jerusalem, remember? This is why there were so many people there. They were all bringing their sacrifices one time a year, go up to the temple, and they were slicing these suckers open. And all this blood was everywhere. There's blood everywhere. And Jesus comes through the gates of Jerusalem because he is God's Lamb who would shed his blood 
for all of our sins. On that day, on the day that Jesus came in, we call it Palm Sunday. You remember that? Palm Sunday is when the gates came open and God presented his lamb on behalf of our sins. Our sins in this room today. And everybody before us and everybody after us. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe that Jesus is the lamb of God slain for the sins of the world, then your sins can be covered too. He can be your sacrifice. It's amazingly easy to believe, but amazingly hard to bend the knee. Without that gift, we would never be right with God. This is what brings us to the communion table. Every Sunday we gather and in front of you, you see uh, um, some juice and some bread. Those of you that are at home, uh, we encourage you to do communion with us as well. I know you're not able to be with us, but find uh, bread or crackers or something that you have available and some liquid uh, that you have available and, and we invite you to join with us, partake with us. Those of you that are in-house, uh, we're gonna play, the music is gonna play, come forward, grab a cup that has juice and breads in the top. Be careful it doesn't spill on you. The reason we do this every Sunday is because of everything in this message. <laughs> it's because the, the juice doesn't save you, the blood of Jesus does. The juice represents the blood that saves us. And the cracker doesn't, rep, doesn't turn into the body of Jesus. The cracker represents what was given to us, this, this baby that became a man and died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. His flesh had to be pierced so the blood could flow. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So when you take communion this morning, my prayer is that you'll have a better understanding of the depravity of our own sin, the, the cost of our own sin, and the gift we've been given in Jesus Christ. I'm gonna give you a moment of silence. I'm gonna pray and then I'm, I'll give you a moment of silence and then I'm gonna pray and and then the music's gonna play. Come up and grab one of these um, cups. Go back to your seat, don't, don't eat or drink yet. I'm gonna come up and we're gonna all do this together. Why? Because I'm just like you. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm nothing special. I'm a sinner just like you and I need the grace of Jesus just like you do. And so we eat and we drink together as a reminder to us that we're all in this boat together and we're not for Jesus Christ. We would all be hopeless. So, let me give you a moment of silence. If God has spoken to you in a particularly poignant way this morning, would you just thank him for that? Just thank him for that. And respond to it. It's what he does. He likes to talk to us at moments, that, especially when we ask him to. And at the beginning of this service, I asked Jesus to speak to us, so I'm hoping that he did. Thank him for that. Respond to it. And then I'll come in and close us with prayer and we'll partake of communion together. Would you spend a moment with the Lord just between you and him? Oh Jesus, thank you for your gift way too valuable to express in words, far more valuable to express in the words that I have said. Forgive us for our sins, way too costly for us to even imagine because we live in a world that tells us sin is not that bad and we believe it. Forgive us for forgetting the cost of our sin that it cost you your life Forgive us for dismissing our faults like they don't matter to anybody but us. We are so egocentric, it's unbelievable. For some of us, we don't even like to use the word sin because it makes us feel bad. And yet it's the very reason that you had to come and die for us. We like to ignore things that make us feel bad but you couldn't ignore it, so you had to die to fix it. I'm so sorry for that.
so many times we just don't understand the gravity of our sin because the hunger of our nature, our fallen nature takes over and we forget the price you paid for us. I pray at this moment we would remember that price. Not even the blood of Moses or any of the great prophets of the Old Testament or any of the disciples or anyone, anyone could pay the price for our sins. Only one candidate could do it and he did it voluntarily out of a heart of love for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Thank you that you don't carry our sins against us until the day that we see you in that judgment room. But if we run to you in mercy now, you forgive us of all our sins, past, present, and future. And for those that are still dancing in their sins, may you convict them to this today that they too will face you in judgment someday. And they don't want to be there. So Father, I pray that you would help us to do kingdom work like it's our last day on the planet. Help us to convince people the power of the gospel is still powerful to save us from our sins, even today. And to all who call on your name, you will call children of your own. You will give the right to be called sons of God and daughters of God. A gift too precious to explain in words for sins too horrific to understand with fallen minds. But I thank you for your mercy and I thank you for your love and I thank you that we can celebrate communion as those who have been forgiven and brought into the family of our, our loving God. Thank you for all of this in Jesus' name, amen.